Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. I would like us to turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. And we're going to read a chapter that is one of the pivotal chapters in the book of Nehemiah. I'm not saying it's the most important chapter. I'm just saying it's one of the pivotal chapters because something happens in this chapter that changes the course of a nation. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself. That's an interesting one. I took counsel with myself. Wives normally do that. I took counsel with myself and interest, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent. You could not find, they could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God? Interesting. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God? to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive trees, and their houses. And the percentage of money, grain, wine, interesting, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out of the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from this house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so may he be shaken out and emptied. 
And all of the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Father, speak to us today through your word. We don't want to hear from a man. I'm just another broken person that is standing here and have the privilege to share your word with your people. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. What was the true condition of Jerusalem? It was not only broken walls. And I want to go back to chapter 1. I think it is very important for us to go because you may have not been here that Sunday when Pierre preached it. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. This is Nehemiah when he was still a cupbearer before the king. When he heard the news of Jerusalem, he said, When I heard this, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and fasted and prayed constantly before the God of heaven. That was his heart for his city. May I interject here for a moment and ask you, has it happened to you yet that you have shed tears and wept over our nation, South Africa, and over our community, the Helderberg Basin, wept with a condition that it is really in. I want to skip to Nehemiah 1, verse 6 to 7. And this is Nehemiah's prayer. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to listen to the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you day and night for the Israelites, your servants, confessing the sins of the Israelites which have sinned against you. Now, listen to this. This is the amazing part. Yes, I and my father's house have sinned. He doesn't exclude himself from what is happening in Jerusalem where he's not even present. He says, I have sinned. I'm guilty. And not just I am guilty, my father's house is guilty. And it sounds to me like South Africa. Atrocities that we are seeing, the injustices that we are seeing, has come through generations. And we can cry about it, and we can argue about it, and we can excuse ourselves from it, but folk... Unless you and I come to the point where we identify with the community of South Africa and this Helderberg Basin, we're going to have to include ourselves and say, I have sinned and my father's house have sinned and therefore, Lord, we stand guilty before you. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, statutes and ordinances which you've commanded your servant Moses. What was the real condition of Jerusalem? Number one, here they are building the walls in our halfway. Sanballat and Tobiah, the opposition, come and really give them big grief. Up to that point, it seemed like enormous success, but there was inward decay. You see, folk, things can seem right on the outside, but inside, things may be terribly wrong. That's why we read in verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. 
then Nehemiah could understand why is the opposition coming against them. Because there was stuff wrong on the inside. The second thing about Jerusalem is there was great injustice. Verse 9, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and the enemies? Where did Nehemiah get this? What is he referring to? I'll show you what he's referring to. In Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 35 to 43, this is the commandments given by God to Moses, not the Ten Commandments or the other commandments, to give to the people. Listen to this. Listen carefully to this. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall not be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear the Lord your God. That was the injustice that was taking place in Jerusalem. Loans at interest, high taxes, children sold as slaves. And that was happening inside when on the outside it seemed like this great success. But inside was not dealt with yet. And I tell you what, if Nehemiah did not stop at that moment and dealt with this thing, he would not have completed the walls of Jerusalem. I guarantee you. Because the fear of the Lord is the number one thing that we as Christians need to walk by. And that word fear doesn't mean to be afraid of. It means reverence, that reverence to God. Because you say so, Father, I will not do that. The third thing that we see in Jerusalem is that there was the love for money. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You'll notice I'm using a lot of scripture verses this morning, for, and there's a reason for it. It is our foundation. The love of money is root of all evil. I don't have to say any more. You know it. We see it in our society. We see it in our news media. This stuff that I'm reading about, we are reading about in our news every day. This is nothing new. The fourth thing that was the true condition of Jerusalem is the lack of the fear of God. Now, one of the things that concern me sometimes about the body of Christ globally, I see it wherever I go in the nations. We get so busy with the things of God that we miss the God of the things. It is so easy that our reasonable service, our reasonable worship becomes mere singing 
on a Sunday morning listening to a sermon and going home and attend a life group meeting during the week. It's so easy. Just a meeting after meeting. We could be so busy, the church could be so busy with itself that they could not see the rest of the world. Blinded to what is happening in Zola. Blinded to what is happening in Gugoleta, Kailicha. Because we're happy here. This is a safe space. This is easy. If there is any scripture in the New Testament that brings the fear of God in me, it's this scripture that I'm going to read you now. We're going to read together Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46. This is not a parable. Jesus is not telling a parable. He's prophesying. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you and for the, from the foundation of the world. Because you worship so well every Sunday. You came to prayer meeting. You played so beautifully your musical instruments with great skill. You attended life group. So come into my kingdom. No, it doesn't say that. It says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. Sorry, let's go back. No, he said, you are the ones for when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You welcomed me in when I was a stranger. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? thirsty and gave you to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will turn to those on the left and he becomes very harsh. Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Are you feeling the same fear of God coming on you today as it is for me? This verse scares me. It's not how many times I preach. It's not where I've been and what I've done. It's have I done these things? In the city of Jerusalem was the city of God's people. And they were being unjust toward one another. 
and ignoring of what is happening around them. People of God, I want to plead with you this morning from the depth of my heart. May your eyes and my eyes be turned toward those that are the least of the brothers of Jesus Christ. I know I've been heavy till now, but the city was restored. Injustice was restored. And it was generosity that restored the injustice. It was when the people of God said, we're going to do something about this. We're not just going to leave it like that. We're going to do, Nehemiah, exactly what you say. We are going to do it. May we be a people that will say to the Lord, whatever you tell us, we'll do it. We're not going to sit around and just play church. We're not just going to sit around and be busy with one another. We're going to, we, want to, we want to do the stuff. Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 21. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy life. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Was that written for Johan Rupert, Christa Wiese, Francois van Niekerk? No, that is written for us. Did you know that approximately 80% of the world, approximately 80% of the world lives on less than 150 rand a day. So by comparison, most of us are part of the richest 1% of the world. How are we truly making a difference in our communities? You, will, you can go to a website called Global Rich List, globalrichlist.com. But only go to it if you're brave. And you're going to see that most of us that are sitting here are part of the world's 1% richest in the world. We count under the 1% richest in the world. Even those of us who think that we may be poor still count under the richest of the world. But joy restored this city. That day, and I want you to go with me to that day, Nehemiah was really giving them the stick. And he's saying to them, aren't you fearing God? This is what you're doing. It's wrong. And they repented of it. Imagine what happened that day. Ezariah, one of the guys who sold his son and his daughter as slaves. This is just hypothetical. This is not real. Came home to Moriah. And he says to Moriah, interesting meeting today. Yeah, what happened? Uh, well, they spoke about the rich people must give their stuff back. And Oh, by the way, Johnny and Jenny are coming back. They're no longer slaves. Do you think it happened like that? Do you think that was the intensity? I see this Ezariah running into his home, grabbing his wife around the neck and dancing around and saying, guess what, guess what, guess what? Our children are coming home. They will no longer be slaves. They will be ours again. And by the way, the farm that, we, that was taken away from us, we will be given it back. We will have our farm back. I can see her weeping with joy and said, this is an impossibility. Are you sure? Are you sure you heard right? 
because men normally don't hear. He said, oh, I'm so certain of this. Joy restored the city. So where do we begin? Where do we begin in this house? You're saying to me, but okay, Donna, what must I do with all these scripture verses that we've gone through? We can begin in our own households with family, some of our family that is in trouble. We can begin here in our church. We've got a benevolent fund. When I heard how little money is in the benevolent fund, I nearly fainted. We've got to up that fuck. A lot of people here in distress, in our community, in Zola. Generosity brings joy and brings healing. That day when generosity was restored to the people, it says in Acts 20 verse 35, in all these things I've shown you that by the working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to tell you, generosity brings joy. If it doesn't, something's wrong. If you want joy in your life, generosity brings joy. When you know that you've helped the weak, find opportunity to give sacrificially. God loves a cheerful giver, which is also translated, he takes pleasure in somebody that gives with joy. Find opportunity to be kind to the poor. Find opportunity. You know, what opportunities are there? Let me just, let me just give you quickly a couple. The Zola Church. One Sunday, take off here and go there. Find out if there are needs there. But don't just give money. I want to challenge you. Go home and have tea with one of the people in that church in their shack. Just go and do it. Go and hold a baby at Mama Tembao. Go and hold a baby. Just go and hold a baby and pray for that baby. It may be the greatest prayer of your life. Hold that little child next to your heart. Lastly, the pr prosperity message that has been preached is to get. The generosity message that has been preached is to give. And both have the same end result. But one, the first one ends where it ends. If you are preaching prosperity to get so that you have, you'll be a sad person. But if you preach prosperity and generosity in order to give, you'll be a happy person. Generosity saved a nation. Will it be so said of the church in South Africa that generosity saved our nation? Generosity through the church. The politicians have no answer whatsoever. We all know that. Government has no answer whatsoever. There's one answer, and that is God.